podcast i am back on tour brenton is on tour as you know i'm in allentown pennsylvania never been here before a couple of um, miles outside of uh, new york city one of my favorite one of my favorite cities in the world new york city not so much allentown it's nice but i got a little a in the background representing for those watching uh at home and uh, back on tour um i took a little break last week because i did an episode with the tribe sober people out of south africa who uh, graciously asked me to come on and talk about what it's like, uh, what it's like for me to tour without alcohol, something that's been uh, not in my life for about three years. And really just um, what that's been like to kind of go around the world and do what I do, which is, you know, obviously we know what I do now, if you've been listening long enough. And uh, so I just thought, you know, I'm going to take a break last week and kind of dedicate all my, my time to promoting that show and um, great program, great people, tribe sober, uh, Janet over there has got an amazing group of people uh, from around the world that uh, have decided to not drink anymore. And for whatever reason, have decided to make some changes. So I am one of those. And I'm three years in. Thank you, everybody, for the kind words and for listening last week. And we're back at it this week. So continuing my series here of making it. And I'm having a lot of fun with these, as you guys know. Uh, I like to talk to different people that have various degrees of success, uh, different stories about what they're trying to accomplish in life. And by, you know, their own definition of making it, we'll come on here and talk a little bit about their journey. Uh, I've known my guest for a few years now, uh, Mr. Corey Churko. Uh, we met a few years ago, um, I, I think officially in Regina during the super or sorry, our Super Bowl, the Grey Cup uh, party with uh, what was then known as a cover boy. And they've since turned it into one of the best party bands in the country with uh, friends of mine, uh, Brent Fitz and Todd Kearns in Tuke. Uh, you can find them at officially every single Canadian party on the land. Um, but bringing in my guest this week, Mr. Corey Churko, who is plays with everybody, Shania Twain, uh, Kelly Clarkson, Tuke. I mean, I'm uh, you filled in for, for Frank with Slash. You kind of do it all. But welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, happy to have you here, man. Welcome. Thanks, Brenton. It's been a while since we've had a good talk, so this is going to be fun. You're in uh, Allentown, and I can't uh, help but think about the Billy Joel song. I'm sure it's been going through your head all day. What are you? And I don't want to say you must have you must have played here before. Oh, many capacity. times. Yeah, absolutely. It's not that far out yep. of New York City, but it's kind of in this it's right around like Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We're like two hours from New York City. So, I mean, the building looks relatively new, but do you, when, do you remember last time you were in this this neck of the woods at all? Um, I would have to say it was probably, hmm, I think it was probably with Kelly Clarkson on one of her tours. So maybe like, yeah, it's been it's been a while, like 2012, maybe. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. So you're coming to me from uh, Las Vegas. I think you just traveled around the world somewhere when we first started talking. It's huh. been a little while since I've seen you uh, in person. I mean, I think honestly, the last time I saw you was probably Grey Cup in Regina, or maybe we did something in Vancouver after that. But you've been all over the place. As, as mentioned, you fill in, you've been filling in, you've been busy with your own stuff. Tuke has launched into this great stuff. Um and you guys are playing all everywhere, but um, what have you been up to, man? Since I saw you last, what's been going on, dude? Because uh, it's been a little while. Yeah, and, uh, I thought I'd get well, you. Right now, you can see chat. I'm uh, in a kind of a hotel room suite kind of thing in yeah. Las Vegas. We're doing the Shania residency um, at the Planet Hollywood, 
So that's going really good. Uh, knock on wood, COVID is keeping its distance and the show is still very much a go. And the crowds are awesome. There's some awesome pictures. And yeah. uh, living the dream, man. So so excited to to be doing this again. <laughs> yeah, you must be excited to be getting back out. I mean, I, I this was weird for me to go back out on tour. And I, I went out this summer a little bit and did amps and it was outside and it was everything. And I'm not going to beat a dead horse here as far as you know everyone's well aware of why everything is shut down so just it's just happy to be back and seeing crowds and people doing it and um a lot of my touring friends back at it and getting back to work and all the rest of it so but you're in vegas i was just in vegas for rehearsals it's a different kind of thing down there i did see a lot of people masking up and doing all these kind of things but um for the most part you know they're relatively back to normal what have you noticed in these shows that you've been doing over there yeah i mean just just days ago the the governor released the mask mandate um on nevada and las vegas so people just go to restaurants no masks uh, of course with the tour we're with the residency we're all wearing masks because yeah uh, we value our jobs and nobody wants to get sick and uh we want the show to keep going so it's it's definitely still a mandate within the the crew and band and the whole shania camp yeah. Uh, everybody's being very cautious um, and staying in as much as possible. Uh, we had a Super Bowl party the other day, but um, we it was just with the same people that you know were on the tour. So we we get COVID checked before we even go into the venue every day. So it's everything's yeah. very careful. I'm getting a lot of questions about what's going on. Some tours aren't doing it at all. Some are testing every single day. So hey, man, to each their own. However, they're running it and getting it out there. Uh, it appears you know, that it's getting out there regardless. So, so great stuff. You, um, oh God, even there's so much to cover here. Saskatchewan boy, you know, obviously, uh, with our friend Todd Kearns in there that, uh, you guys, you know, are from, uh, Saskatchewan kids. I I'm just curious. There's, so, there's such a storied history with your, uh, <laughs> upbringing in your family. You guys are musical family. I, I, I want to begin sort of the journey of, of Corey, because it, We'll, we'll get into a little bit, but your brother is one of the most successful mm -hmm. producers in the world. Your nephew has now become one of the most successful rock producers in the world. Um, mm -hmm. It's just such a, it's just so much talent coming out of the family. So I guess mm -hmm. walk me through how that begins for you. Like, how does that, well, how does that start? A lot, a lot of people know that we grew up in a family band, right? So I was, uh, I think seven years old when I played my first, uh, it was a wedding dance for my aunt Delphine. And it was just amazing, you know, because um, I came out of school at grade seven because um, we were on the road and traveling and doing a lot of gigs. Um, and so I had to do my schoolwork on my bed. Uh, I went to uh, actual high school when I did my uh, final exams. And the whole family was just, uh, I mean, we were just on the road for years and years and years. Um, so, you know, Kevin was the drummer. My mom played bass. My, my dad played guitar and my sister played keyboards. And that, that was our reality. Um, was it, okay. So family, you know, let's dumb that down for a minute as far as it, like yeah. the, the family band. So we hear about the family band and it's, I'm not sure. I don't want to regionally say it's not a Canadian thing. I mean, you hear about it a lot from Nashville and you hear about it a lot in country world and the Grand Ole Opry and, oh, we were a family band and all these kind of things. But yeah. what is a family band? Like you guys, <laughs> you're a family on tour. In essence, are you weekend warriors only playing the weekends? Are you literally like in school no. by your parents? Like what is a family? What does a family band do? Especially in the, I guess, 70s, 70s, 80s, I guess. It would have been, yeah, the 80s. 80s, yeah. Yeah, I left. I left school in grade seven, so I was 12 years old. My dad took us out of, of school, and my mom and dad were both teachers as well. So, um, But that didn't really come into play because we actually did a, a Saskatchewan correspondence school. We actually did all our, all our stuff. We would fill out our uh, courses and then send them in, and they would get graded and sent back. So it was very much through the mail kind of thing. Um, so from, from 12 years old till I was 18, till I... Till I basically graduated grade, grade 12. It, and, and a lot of times I would play the gig in a bar. And then after the bar, I would go to my room and <laughs> I do my schoolwork then. So it wasn't Crazy. like conventional uh, 
hours, you know, like at like a school. I'd be lying on my bed reading books that I had to read and filling out the course assignments. And um, how strict so, were your parents about the schooling? As far well, as well, basically, they dangled a carrot in front of me because yeah. the plan all along was for me and Kevin to to start our own, you know, original rock band yeah. after I graduated. They said we couldn't do it until you graduated. So that was like, you know, it was up to me to graduate so that I could fulfill what my goals and targets were. Um, so it wasn't that hard. I was right. pretty disciplined. I fell behind a few times, but you know, I just caught up. Um, it was no I went deal. to school and I was behind the whole time. So don't worry about that. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, we came through that and we're not, you know, I'm i I'm a seventies baby. So, you know, we came through the time yeah, where, you know what it is. where everyone it's, was failing. Uh, you still failed. Yeah. Yeah. All I wanted to do was play music and in grade 12, it was the worst because I was like, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel and I just yeah. wanted to be done. So I'd actually get the bass player um, who replaced my mom at a certain point, Shane Hendrickson, <laughs> to do my course, course uh, assignments for me just so that we could jam, you know, and write yeah. songs together. That's uh, funny. I kind of limped to the, to the end zone. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know, out of that, so you have this with the, with the dangling of the carrot and this kind of comes to, the the first part of this making it idea so what what kind of music was it that you were playing was it a cover band was it originals or was it like kind of fair and festival sort of like all-encompassing like my dad was in a band they covered everything like they did everything they were they were country for a while he had a 50s 60s band did it kind of morph or what was that what was the, the so, band so you're talking about the family band right yeah the family band yeah yeah so the family band was just a you know a bar band we played mostly country music, uh, but of course, me and Kevin were so much into rock music yeah. that um, we would kind of inject Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne, Turn Up the Radio by Autograph, Hit Me right. With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar, you know? Yeah. Um, and because we were kids, it was kind of like cute. We could get away with a lot of stuff, even in the country bars, right? So I can't believe that you were allowed to, you know, be in bars. I, I used to go with, with my dad and... And, yeah. you know, watch the sound check even in 81 or 82. I, I remember it very, very clear that it was like, you know, but we couldn't stay for the show. We couldn't like, I, it was, you could come and watch a setup and we'd play a little bit, but then you had to go home. And so the fact right. that you were allowed to play and even up until when I started in a band in the 90s, I mean, I was 18 when I joined a band and, I, and that, that was like 90, 93 or 94, I guess we started and... I still, there was a couple of bars I wasn't allowed to play at 18 still. And that was yeah. only early nineties. So I, I was from Saskatchewan, but they had liquor laws there, such as you speak of, you couldn't go in or play if you were underage, but in Ontario, yeah, they had liquor laws that you could play underage. As long as you left on your breaks, you can go to the kitchens. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Or, or up to the band room or something, you, you know, as yeah. long as you left, you could play at any age underage in the, in the bars. And Shania actually had a similar upbringing and she lived of course in yeah. Tim. And so we played a lot of the same bars and, and reminisce about the same kind of taverns and stuff. How did that come together with Shania? Was that a, an audition kind of scenario or were you, were you, did you know the same people? Did you know her actually at that point? And she was like, Hey, Corey, come into my band. I need, I need somebody. No, in fact, I had already quit the music business when I got the call to do yeah. Shania uh, because after playing so many years as a kid and then yeah. more years with my brother after we finally did break off and move to Vancouver, just burnt out playing Sweet Home Alabama and old time rock and roll every <laughs> night and getting Mike stands bumped into our teeth as drunks come up to request those songs. Yeah. Um, so we were burnt out. Kevin moved back to Saskatchewan. <laughs> Oh, totally. Yeah. Actually, I would have, I would like to play Freebird over those songs. We never yeah. get Freebird too often, but um, yeah. So yeah. So I was burnt out. I got out of the music business. I went back to school, took computer animation okay. and um, graduated from com computer animation, got a great job doing uh, a, a weekly series for called, um, Beast Wars Transformers. It was based on the oh, Transformer. I remember that. Yeah, toys, and uh, and was loving it. You know, it was it was great. It's something new and computers. I love computers. Um, and then literally out of nowhere, I got the call 
on my answering machine from the record company in Canada saying, please call. We have an artist we're working with or a couple of artists we're working with, one of which needs a young, energetic fiddle player. Turns out all those years of playing in bars somehow got my name to the record company to even call me. Uh, I was referred by someone who um, edited a country music magazine that was free in all the clubs. They asked her who they recommended for a, a country fiddler. She remembered me because I'd played so many so many bars back in the day. Hilarious. And uh, they they called me and and uh, and I didn't I didn't answer uh, I wasn't there to answer the phone call, and I didn't call them back because I had this new gig. I was like ah, I'm not going to go back into that. I just got out of it. I got a great new career. Uh, I have benefits, you know, it's, this is amazing. And I'm not going to go back and play, you know, for a, a new artist. Cause I thought I'd be a new artist, you know, for, you know, 400 bucks a week, whatever. So uh, I didn't call, but then they called me back and they said, look, we're a little discreet about who it is. And it's uh, it's for Shania Twain. You should give us a call. And of course I called immediately, sent them a package uh, with a CD and a, and an eight by a one-off eight by 10. Cause I didn't really have any eight by tens anymore. As you and, did, <laughs> uh, went back to my job and then they called, you know, a week later or something said, you know, Shania and Mott have heard, um, your tape. They've seen your picture and they would like to get you out, um, for an audition in New York and your audition will be playing on David Letterman. So <laughs> I literally went from a cubicle in Vancouver doing computer animation to being in a hotel in the middle of Times Square going, what the hell is going on? You know, all those sirens that you hear in new york city and yeah yeah my head was swimming you know it was it was amazing and so i played uh, david letterman and then i played good morning america the next morning and then i went back to uh, my job they said don't quit your day job she's <laughs> gonna look look over all the musicians she's had you know on every tv show uh, so far and make a short list and we'll call you if you're on the short list so i didn't care at that point it was kind of like a, a cap to my career that I thought at that point, because I played so many years um, in the bars and I thought, man, to end off my career and go to my new career as an animator by playing David Letterman, I thought, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. I could die now. You know, How old were you then when that happened? Um, 27. It was December 97. So, and, so you uh, got the, yeah. you get that. So 27. So coming back to that, that point about making it. So one of the things that is very abundantly clear through these discussions with everybody is that there are levels to making it and everyone has their own version of that. And we'll get into that down the road, uh, towards, towards this thing as we, as we go through, but you're that age, you're, you're in a cubicle in Vancouver, you cap it off at Letterman. So you're like, all right, what a career that's been, you know, we did this. I yeah. educated myself on tour with my family and I, and I did Letterman and I would imagine at that point you felt at that point that you had made it or at least accomplished what you possibly set out to do at that point, or it was a nice capper. Maybe yeah. you, you weren't the lead guitar player in a, in a metal band or something out of the eighties and, and, and was touring with guns and roses or, or doing or whatever it was, but you ended up, in this kind of capacity. So is that, was that, is that kind of accurate as to where your brain was at that point? Yeah, totally. Because, um, one thing I didn't tell you is that when, when I was going through animation school, I was paying for my rent and part of my tuition by busking on the streets of Vancouver mm. as a fiddle player. See, I, I was primarily just a guitar player at the time and, um, fiddle was, an afterthought. I played like one song. I think when that editor of that country music magazine saw me play, I, think I played one song. And so I wasn't really a fiddler all along until I started busking. And uh, then I was actually learning on the streets of Vancouver with my case open. Right. And it was amazing. Uh, what a great way to learn and get paid at the same time. Plus I was going to school. So that was really great. And, and looking back on it, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been ready play the Schneid gig because I wasn't that good of a fiddle player at the time. Um, what a so lesson. It's what kind of lesson. like I, I stopped believing in controlling your life and more in destiny that things fall into place the way they're supposed to. And if they don't, because I was jaded, I was like, I've done everything right. Why, why didn't my music career amount to more than this? You know, like I worked hard. We had every, everything in place, all the ducks in a row. 
and it and it didn't happen to the capacity that I wanted it to happen. Um, and then I had to quit and let it go mm-hmm. to let those doors open. And then I just kind of went through the doors that opened and, you know, here I am today. And that's, that's kind of when I just started to let destiny happen and things don't happen. Don't get upset. You know, there might be a different thing for you in this life. Twists and turns. Isn't there a story about somebody, there's a story from this weekend's past Super Bowl, or one of the guys had retired and was just chilling out. This happens in football a lot, not so much hockey yeah. or some of these other sports, but he was right. You know, sports guys are going to come at me here, but I'm familiar with the tale. <laughs> uh, but the idea was that he was hanging with his kids, retired, and then they called him and were like, "Listen, we need you." And then mm-hmm. he won the Super Bowl this weekend. And I think it happens a little bit. I think it happens a little every now and again. Maybe in in. I think it's maybe basketball and football where guys like that get called. I know my friend Paul McCallum um, got called in after he was retired to come back and kick for the BC Lions, you know, and and just fun stuff like that. I love those kind of stories. And the busking yeah. side, you've been to Glasgow, obviously. No, Glasgow, Scotland. No, just no, in general. I mean, yeah, to play, yeah, yeah, yeah. So play, down yeah. that main street in Glasgow, after you pass the Tim Hortons, hi, Brent Fitz. Um, after you pass the, <laughs> after you pass the, uh, the Tim Hortons, but they've got that promenade, and it's just full of buskers. And almost every single week, I see something online of the buskers from Glasgow, and they're really, yeah. really, really good. No, I'm not saying buskers are bad anywhere else. I just, for some reason, because of the way it's laid out, you've just got buskers all the way. And um, I think I saw something where Rod Stewart joined one of them and there was all these different buskers. Mm -hmm. So I think to a point of like people that are trying to make it or trying to go for it, whatever their definition is, I mean, you never know a who's watching B Mm -hmm. you know what you're doing. I think, I think John legend just crashed somebody that was busking the other day. And I've heard of these great stories of bands or guys that get additioned into bands because they were singing on the street and then they ended up as a backup singer in some big band or something. It's just unbelievable. So um, yeah. if you're passionate, I think about your, your craft and you're like, well, I'm not on stage. I'm not doing it, but I can busk and I got a busking license and I'm making a hundred bucks a day doing it. And, but everyone's hearing me, someone's going to talent wins. I'm always a fan. I'm always talent wins. If you're talented yeah. and you're really good and you had to carve out your craft there and, and it, it made you better. And then, and then here we are, you're, you're now, you know, you first and foremost, I guess is fiddle for her. Right. And then guitar. Actually now I'm, uh, I'm kind of just whatever needs to be done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I saying at the time though, it was fiddle at the time it was fiddle and now it's kind of moved in. It's morphed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I got the gig as a fiddle player. Then they realized yeah. I could do a lot more. So then it became a utility guy. And then on one tour, I was primarily a guitar player. And then we kind of, whittled down the band a little bit and I had to do double duties with fiddles again. Yeah. yeah. So it's just kind of what, it, and then I even played bass on a tour for a couple of songs and now I'm doing a duet with her in Vegas. So you know, singing with her. So, yeah, I, uh, I love the, uh, do you play piano as well? I do. Yeah. That was my yeah. first instrument actually. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting because I, I think our buddy Fitz touches on this a bit too, that, um, and I've heard this story about, if you want to be, if you really want to make it as a musician, you really need to learn piano first because it kind of ties into a lot of other instruments that kind of cross over. And I was a half of a drummer in my day. <laughs> I could carry, I, you know, whatever. I never learned piano. Always wanted to, but a lot of the musicians that I know that are successful, I mean, hell, even Fitz is playing keys on the Slash tour right now. I saw so, that. That's you know what I mean? It's it's just a funny yeah. thing. But uh, the keys and piano seem to be the way in that cross over. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. It's the best bass instrument, um, bass is B-A-S-E, yeah. um, because you can play the bass, because you can play chords, melody, rhythm. I mean, it's actually a percussion instrument if you really want to um, define keyboards as, a, you know, with the hammers and whatnot inside a piano. So yeah. um, it's, it's a great foundation for music for any kid that's getting into music. Take a couple years of piano first and then get into whatever else you want to do. That's it's quite something because it's probably harder to go backwards. I would think. I guess it's never too le- too late to learn, but I would imagine it would be a little harder yeah. to go go backwards on. Never it. too late. Yeah, right. So that's funny. Um, so Shania takes you all over the world, uh, and then it's, I guess Kelly Clarkson's after that it moves into the Kelly Clarkson world. Yes. Yeah. Right. So after and same thing there. I got into the Kelly camp through fiddle. Uh, so fiddle's been my way in the door. Yeah. Uh, for her. 
And after the, sh- the, the up tour was over, I was back at home and now I was in LA and I had bought a house and I had all these commitments and now I didn't have a job anymore. And I really didn't have any connections outside the Shania camp. So I started like getting anxiety, like I'm not going to be able to make my, my payments and uh, what am I going to do? And so I started like, okay, well, if I can't get the next big gig, I got to do something. And I had this animation thing under my belt. So started putting in resumes at EA Sports. There was a, right. an office in LA. And then one of the thing, one of the places I put my resume in was at Line 6, which they make guitar amp kind of things and guitars. And um, the, the guy that I put my resume into there was a Canadian from Vancouver. So we kind of hit it off. And he said, you know what? We don't really have a spot for you, but I'll keep you in mind if anything comes up. And sure enough, like the next week or something, Kelly's guitar player went into line six and um, he told this guy, Hey, Kelly wants to get a, a couple of string players on the, this next tour. He goes, well, you know what? I, Shania Twain's fiddler just came in here actually looking for a job here. Would you like his number? And he said, yeah. And then I got a call from management and music director. And the next thing I knew I was in Kelly's band, uh, but only playing like five, Five, to, five or six songs in the show. It was one of her first tours that she did after Australian Idol. And yeah. I was just playing fiddle, you know? Um, and once, and then at the very end of the tour, um, her guitar player got let go. It was one show left, the Vancouver show. And he was sent home. His gear was still out with <laughs> us. Music director came to me and said, hey, Corey, I know you play guitar. Yeah. Do you think you can fill in and do the last show as a guitar player? I said, of course. Yeah. Um, so in Vancouver, why, when I was why, of course, or hold on, why, of course, because of this. Yes. Gigging, See? gigging, gigging, gigging. Because of that. <laughs> That's right. Now, you know, I knew the whole show because I was watching it from the side of the stage yeah. on, you know, uh, because I only played five songs in the show. So I knew the arrangements of the songs. Uh, all I had to do was just kind of shed the chords and the keys and everything, which is what I did right before the show. And I went out there, I used his, his guitar gear, played the last show. And then at that point I was now utility guy again on the next Kelly tour. So I was playing keys and percussion and guitar and singing. And, um, and then this, this is when I actually became one of the primary guitarists with Abe and Eubanks there on the left. Where, Where is that picture taken? That was actually, um, uh, a Dallas Cowboys halftime show. Oh yeah, I think it was the Thanksgiving special or something like that. Like one of the the big Dallas kind of events. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So then I played with her for like twelve years, and same thing. It was just like you know whatever needed to be done. I was kind of just a guitar player at the end, but I played fiddle, played banjo. Even I did a duet with her when I needed to, um, because she had this hit song that was a duet. So. She's done just kind of whatever needed to be done. And, and, and Brent Fitz is a very smart guy because it's true. Like learn piano, learn to sing, make yourself valuable. You're either, you're only going to make it if you're super, super good at the one thing that you do, like you're a master. Yeah. Or you can do a lot of things really good. <laughs> jack of all trades, mediocre, master, jack of all trades, master of none. But I would say you guys are all masters of all of them. I, I really, enjoy enjoy watching you guys like you know cross over and all these things and there's so many great stories just out of this toot camp guys filling in for guys you know like it's just so funny when you know frank goes down so you you know he has to rush home uh, for an emergency and you got to fill in and you jump Mm -hmm. in on the slash thing and fill in and you just walk right into it and fill in (laughs) by and and i and brent had to fill in for Todd when Todd blew his retina out and then there was like all these guys filling in, filling in, filling in. And this is the 10,000 hours, right? It's just never yeah, and Shane, Shane, the drummer for two had to fill in for Brent when Brent blew his eye out, right. his retina. So is this something, right? just and people do watch to do and, people yeah. watch too. Can they go, why is Fitz not playing drums? What's going on here? Right. Like, you know, and he's playing bass and it's all confusing for everybody, but we get it. We know what's going on. <laughs> So, and it just it's, makes uh, it more fun, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be fun. Especially, I think he plays key. I think Brent plays keys on on the guest too. But I, I think that that yes. that uh, 
discussion that he had and he filled me in on was around, I think it was Chester Thompson who played with Phil Collins for so long had said, I think Brent went and saw him at a, at a place and Chester had told him to play keys or something. It was just an interest. And he's a drummer. So that's, it was an interesting kind of how that ties back around. Um, So your family coming out of that, you you were talking about how you couldn't start a band until you graduated from school and you did all the rest of it. So did you and your brother discuss like, we're going to, okay, this is the kind of band, like what was the kind of band you wanted to put together? And this is your brother, Kevin here uh, with hmm. his son, Kane and, and the two of them in the studio right. that have become giant right. producers around the world. So there was there designs on having this big rock band or where, how do you, what do you yeah. start with? Yeah, what do you do? Yeah, we were already writing songs, you know, while we were in the family band. Um, and when I graduated, we moved out to Vancouver. We, we started a band called The Explorers, which was kind of a prog rock band, kind of like extreme, uh, yeah. that sort of thing. And we put out a record. But while we were recording the record, we were actually funding the record with a country music prod project called the underground outlaws right because we knew how to make money as a country band with the family band yeah so we just kept that same model played the same kinds of clubs had the same agents booking agent and we did that to make money pay our rents and to do um the explorers project which of course was an original band and wasn't really making money playing live gigs because you play stuff for free you know Mm -hmm. 30 days so uh, that's what we did. We won the Labatt's Blue Band Wars competition in, for all of Canada. Went out to, to Japan, to Tokyo, and played the Budokan for the, the International Band Wars competition. And that's kind of where it ended. And that's when Kevin moved back to Saskatchewan. We got burnt out. We thought we'd done everything right. We still weren't getting that success that we... And, and then probably first and foremost is that grunge happened. Right. Right then and there at that time. So our music now was not really current. Right. So that that worked against us. And so the band just kind of broke up. That time wiped out a lot of a lot of stuff. It thinned the herd. It thinned the herd. It It, it made people kind of change the way and their trajectory and what they were planning on doing. Um, I remember I had Brian from Tesla on my show a while ago and i oh, asked cool. him if he what he thought of that because there there seemed there seemed to be this like like you know i don't want to use hair bands but there's just there was this time when bands like tesla poison warrant uh, all of those mm-hmm. bands kind of you know skid row they all had put these records out in 94 that ultimately and arguably was all their best work because coming out of 91 and 92, it was sort of leading into the Nirvana. Well, I guess Nirvana mm-hmm. had already been out and stuff by then. But I think it pushed a lot of these bands to kind of up their game musically. So there's so many great records in 94. Motley Crue's album with Karabi and and, and mm-hmm. Native Tongue with Kotzen and, you know, Skid Row's uh, Subhuman Race record. All these albums, Warrants, Doggy Dog, all of it buried. And I asked Brian, even Tesla with Bustin' Nut, I was like, I asked him, what did you think of that movement coming in? He goes, well, we loved it all, but we didn't understand how we were, how we sold 500,000 records on Tuesday. And then by Friday we were obsolete. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we couldn't understand why no one, like yeah. like a month ago, we could, we could do 5,000 people in an arena and now we can't do more than 400 people. And he was just blown away by it. So that would have been probably frustrating for you. I'd imagine like taking it to that point, thinking you're there and then grunge comes and then you're like, Oh mm-hmm. no, to start over. we were just too late we were too late yeah um but you know once again looking back on how things worked out i like where i am now kevin certainly likes where he is now Jeez. you know being one of the biggest producers in the world still selling physical units which right? doesn't really happen anymore yeah so that's, that's um, crazy you must be proud of so proud of him. everyone you touch it, it's oh, been yeah. it must be, you know every, kelly's gone on to great six though she was already successful but i'm saying she's got this great show now your brother and nephew both producing giant records. <laughs> yeah. So it's just um, sometimes things happen like that. You think it's the end of the world. And I, I did, you know, when I put my case out for the first time for spare change, I thought, what does my career come to, you know? Um, but looking back, I'm glad it happened the way it did. And I wouldn't be sitting here right now, you know? So what is your definition of making it? Uh, what was Corey's definition of making it when you were younger? 
Uh, well, versus, when I was younger, I wanted yeah. to be, I wanted to be extreme, you know? Yeah. I wanted to be Steve Vai. I wanted to be all of my favorite guitar heroes. And, um, you know, I wanted to be Toto. I wanted to be Mr. Big or whatever was the, the biggest band sure. at the time. I just wanted to play, you know, I was all about shedding and creating and playing with your buds and, um, and, and we did everything we thought was right to, mm -hmm. to, to get that, but uh, it happened. Was there, just ended up being jaded. <laughs> yeah. Was there a point though, where you, where was the point that you said you think you can do this for a living full time uh, after you had left animation, you know, Shania yeah. and Kelly, and then you kind of have to reconfigure, but I'm asking like, is wh where was the switch where you're like, I think I could do this full time now. I think I can do music full time for a living. Well, I was doing it full time since I was seven years old, you know? Sure. So literally, yeah, literally, I, I never had an allowance because I was always making money, my own money. I bought my own gear, I bought my own rack, you know, my, my own switching system. And, um, you know, cause I, I always had money coming in our, we, we would play gigs with our parents, our family. And even, even when I was busking, I was making enough to pay the bills. You know, I was making as much busking as I did playing the bars. Only I didn't have the smoke to deal with and the, the drunk idiots <laughs> to contend with. Um, so, and then right out of that into animation. So, um, you know, and even when I was in animation, I was with a, a group of like old, older musicians who are now insurance salesmen and, and, and product inventors and stuff. And we were just playing like Cub Scouts dances in Vancouver, just, just for fun. And, and it was kind of a healing period for me because I was learning to like music again. And we were playing stuff like Pink Floyd, which I'd never done in a bar before, just because it was a great song, not because it was what was current or what got people on the dance floor. And, and, I, and I started to like music again when I wasn't doing it for a living. And then when Shania came along, it was just a whole nother thing. And it was like, suddenly I was making pretty good money, you know? Yeah. More than I'd ever made before. And, and then I was back in music and, and I've kind of been here ever since. And, you know, I think COVID was probably the, the, the sobering moment since then that, wow, you mean music does have a chink in its armor. <laughs> it's a virus. <laughs> Right. right. Well, it really changed the business a lot. Yeah. And, um, and I yeah, think our, totally. our business suffered greatly for it and wasn't prepped for it. Um, even after 9-11, I mean, I think we had a two week shutdown, but everything got back on track. So this right. is this has been exactly. devastating for our business all the way around. Um, and it's good to see people coming back into it. And um, yes, you must be. I mean, but it's funny because you guys with Tuke, you guys started Tuke Talk, which kept you busy, which was great every week. You basically doing the same thing here. Great show. I recommend everybody checking it out um, where the fellas basically put together, brought all their friends in for all these great chats. And it was really awesome. Um, you guys have kind of taken a break on it a little while right now, right? You guys haven't done it in a while. But um, yeah, because it, now the COVID's over or I shouldn't say over. It's far from over. But yeah, now that it's such that we can go back on the road, Slash is out touring now. Yeah. I'm back to work. Shane's doing some pretty cool gigs. Um, so we'll get back to Tuke Talk for sure. Because Do you, do you, you have know. like a repertoire of, song, of things always going? So you always have to have Shania's list in your head. You've always got to have Kelly's list mm -hmm. in your head in case you get called in. Yeah, I guess that this, this fits in your slashes list and say, better have that standing by just in case. And then like it, you have a list of people calling you saying, listen, we're going to send you uh, we're going on tour. We don't know what's going to happen. So be ready. How many bands do you have in your brain right now? How many things? Have you you know what? It's, it's the music's in there, but I do, I do forget parts and patches, you know, patches that I used. So if, if I had to do a Kelly gig, I could get it back in a day, but I'd have to rehearse. Like I didn't know the songs. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause it, it kind of, once I'm done with the tour, it's gone. I don't keep it in there. If if the amount of work that to keep it in there for me anyway would be monumental for me to always stay current on, you know, on remembering slat. Like I can't remember what I played on Slash's stuff, but I could get it back really quick. I have all my old videos that I used to learn the Slash stuff, so I could I could get it back probably within one or two days and be ready for a gig easily in that time. Do you? 
the 10,000 hours thing, I, I like to touch yeah. on it. We, we hear this a lot um, versus the, it's uh it's who, you know, that's a big argument in our business. You hear a lot of bands. Yeah. It's like, Oh, that guy only got that gig. Cause he knows this guy. What's the balance between the two. Hmm. Have you found that one served you better than the other? Well, let's face it. You have to put in the time initially to learn your, your craft. Um, and then you have to be, you have to be able to get, get along with people. If you have, personality problems, you know, like, like the gig is 50% how good you are and 50% how fun you are to hang with on the bus sure, <laughs> or in the dressing room. Right. Yeah. So learning stuff will get you in the door. Like if you're good enough that the word will get out, but networking is, is probably just as big a part of the gig, you know, and that's why, us growing up in the eighties was such an amazing thing because live music was like six nights a week. Right. So you were always coming into contact with people and musicians and there were jam sessions on Saturdays that you had to host. People would come up by the audience. You'd, you'd meet new people. Now it's harder because there's not so much, there's, there's not as many venues for live music, mm -hmm. but you have the, the advantage of social media now. And a lot of people are meeting through social media. It's just a different game. Um, but you still have to get out like, uh, Josh Gooch in the Shania band, the other guitar player, he hosts something called the Boba jam in LA, which is a Boba tea cafe mm -hmm. with a back patio. And he just gets his friends and they play like every Thursday morning, people come and hang. And it's just, that's the kind of thing we had every night in the eighties, you know, that he's trying to recreate. And consequently, he, you know, I mean, he knows I use him as my networking now because he he does the footwork for me and sure. meets all these people and then introduces them to me somewhere down the line. So but it, it, networking is is 50 percent the gig. 50 percent is how good you are at your gig. Are you worried about it, about the future when it comes to this side of it? Because I don't see, I mean, Nashville's still going strong. Obviously, there's bands every day, and I guess you, or shows every day in Vegas. I, I guess you could, you could argue has something every day, and you could gig every week if, or every day if you wanted to. But um, Vancouver's scene is gone. Toronto's scene is relatively gone. People aren't able to go out. Um, these young kids that are coming in at 20, you know, 19, 18, or whatever, I mean, they're not cutting their teeth in the bars anymore. And being able to just jam yeah. up on stage and say, play this, go. I'm curious, yeah. like, you know, as somebody who had to put that time in and you're looking at the current stock, are you worried about it? It's it's the Wild West out there right now. It's it's constantly redefining itself. And am I worried? No, because, you know, I'm at the almost approaching the sunset years of my career. You know, I had the 80s. I loved the, the 80s. I think it was a great time to grow up. Yeah. Um, but now... Uh, you can't make money playing music, um, even recording music. You can't make that much money. Um, you have to make money in merch. It's kind of mm -hmm. it, but you're really doing it because you love it. And of course, that's why we do Toke. It's it's to celebrate why we got into music in the first place. And anybody that gets into music in the first place is doing it because they love to play. It's fun. It's creative. Um, if you make money doing it, it's icing on the cake. If you get into yeah. it for any other reason, you're going to be, you're going to have a lot of heartache because <laughs> it's, yeah. especially now it's not an easy business. Um, but it's fun. You know, it's fun when you're learning how to play guitar. It's fun to, to play your favorite songs. It's fun to see what kind of song you can write. It's so easy to make and record music these days. You don't have to have a lot of money to do it. It's, it's, it's stimulating to learn the process of recording the, the information that's out there on YouTube of sharing mm -hmm. the music, uh, sharing how to make music. You can do anything now with YouTube. And, and so that's, that's the kind of stuff that's exciting about music. Now making money at it is still redefining itself. And yeah. I'm, I'm just learning about NFTs and crypto and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of getting exciting. And I think there's, there's a future for making money through NFTs and that is in its beginning phases. So who knows? 
I think yeah, Rain made us from our lead pieces been on the ground floor and that and really pushing it. And I think it served them well on their on their new album too. So uh kudos to them. And awesome. Uh, yeah. I know people are kind of, you know, on the fences to it, but it just needs to be dumbed down a little bit better. And I think you'll get everybody on board with it. Mm-hmm. Uh okay, last couple wins here and then I'll let you roll. Um so because the sun's going now, as you can see, I'm getting darker and darker. You're getting dark. Well, I'm already, it's already dark and freezing here. I got a Saskatchewan Monday happening here oh, <laughs> as far as uh, it's freezing in Allentown. Uh, you talked about Tuke and the love of doing it. And, you know, it kind of brought you back to that point of you guys being able to revisit what made it fun and covering these songs. And you put a couple of records out already. And it kind of, you know, that sort of like there's the, the, the Shania business side of it. There's the Kelly business side of it. There's getting called the, the call to go and take care of the business side of it. And then the Tuke side of it is fun. Uh, yeah. But there's still business there. Obviously you guys get hired a lot, which is great. What yeah. do you, um, when you play those songs though, like who are your influences overall though? What is, what is Corey Churko made up of? Specifically like the artists and that sort of thing. Yeah. What are you made up yeah, of? Yeah, man. Well, um, Tuke is, about the Canadian side of music that we grew up with because the radio stations had to play a certain amount of Canadian content. So we'd hear a Rolling Stone song, we'd hear a Stick song, we'd hear Journey next to a Streetheart song, a Harlequin song, a Queen City Kids song. And people are, and we thought they were as big as those bands because as kids, we didn't know any different. They were on the radio next to, yeah. you know, the Rolling Stones. So they must be just as famous, right? Because they're, they're on the charts. Um, so... Definitely that Canadian stuff is what Tuke is about. And those songs to us are so great and not a lot of the world had heard them. So we decided we, you know, we would recut these songs, give them the same production, but just a new coat of paint uh, with a new mix and that sort of thing, more of a modern mix. And then because we have such a, a international fan club with the Slash fans, the Shania fans, the Bees fans in Japan that Shane, Shane played with, um, we were able to introduce all this old stuff to this international community. Yeah. Um, and we were having a ball doing it, you know, that, and every time we play a show, that's what it is. Now we're doing, you know, those influences are coming into our own original music. And, and that's kind of what Tuke is turning into now, whenever we have a chance to be together, which is sure. You know, Sporadic. Queen, but yeah. exactly. Um, so, you know, my influences are that stuff that I grew up listening to when the alarm clock radio would go off to get me yeah. up for school. I'm sure you had an alarm clock radio. I still have the same one. So don't worry. It's yeah. a, I haven't That's changed amazing. that part of it. These, this yeah. and that, they'll never, yeah. act, they'll never, you still the roll over and having to switch from AM to PM and all the rest of it. And, yeah. Hit, and, and hit uh, the snooze button. Hit the snooze <laughs> and star. get those four stations. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that's funny on that side. So a uh, final question for you on this topic and uh, I'll let you get out of here, sir. But um, has Corey Churko made it? Has Corey Churko made it? I tell this to people when they ask me that question. If I was to die or get terminally ill tomorrow, I would be happy with what I did with my career, what I experienced. Um, I played the Super Bowl, you know? Yeah. That's a great, that's a great Feather in the cap. Yeah. Um, do I have other goals that have not been met? Yeah. But I'm happy with where I am. I've had great experiences. I wouldn't trade any of it for anything. Um, so I think I've made it. Would you share one of those goals that you haven't accomplished yet? Or is that just for Corey? Yeah. Financial freedom. The ability to, to turn down, you know, any gig. Um, and just do exactly what I want or, um, you know, writing a hit song. Um, you know, those are probably top of my list. Still lots of time, my friend, tons of time, especially with the people uh, that are in your life and, and, uh, and continue to add to that list. Corey, thanks so much for making the time today. I really appreciate this little catch up. It's been a little while since we've had the time to uh, hang out and, uh, and and just shoot the shit. So I'm happy for you and everything that you've been up to. Um, 
for all the things. Like, I mean, I just, I, when Fitz told me you're filling in on Slash, I'm like, that's of course. I mean, of course, <laughs> Corey's the guy, but also just, you know, back to it with Shania in Vegas. If you guys are going to Vegas over the next little bit, uh, be sure to try to, if she, Shania, catch a ticket to go see Shania, Corey will be there on stage uh, and they'll uh, we'll be doing residency. How long does that go for? Uh, it's off and on until uh, like September, I think is right. our, yeah. So Great. just just look us up online if you want to know if we're in Vegas or not, and it'll show you the dates. That's awesome. Where can everybody find you online, sir? Uh, CoreyChurko.com, CoreyChurko on Instagram, CoreyChurko on Facebook. Uh, it's pretty easy to get your own domain name when you have a name like Corey Churko. I think I'm the only one in the world. So <laughs> just type in Corey Churko, you'll find me. Yeah. Well, go find him in Vegas with Shania. Go find him uh, in your ears with Tuke and... Happy to have you, man. That's Corey Churko. This has been the Brenton on Tour podcast for another week. Uh, we covered off making it, and it's been a blast touching on this series uh, with some new people that I haven't met and some old friends like Corey that, uh, that are back in and uh, back on tour, and I'm happy to talk with them. I'm Brenton on tour again. Uh, hopefully I'll be back next week. Get the schedule dictates. You never know. But uh, thanks for joining me this week. BrentonOnTour.com for everywhere uh for podcasts new and old uh welcome your comments add me on instagram twitter all the places brenton on tour podcast and everywhere you get your pods thanks everybody we'll see you next week I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.